Hey there, it's Matt from Generator. I would love for you to be able to listen to all of our new podcasts as soon as they come out. So please make sure you follow us on your podcast app of choice or just head over to generatorpodcast.com to listen to the library of past episodes as well. The full video versions are also available on YouTube on my channel at Stone Tree Creative. While we're talking social media, please follow our accounts on Instagram and TikTok as well, both at Generator Podcast where I post highlights from current and past episodes and give you insight to what it is I'm actually doing here. Lastly, if you're like me and are planning next year's marketing budget, you should think about the power of this platform in sponsoring growing shows like Generator. All you have to do is get in touch and we can start that conversation. So that's it. Thanks again for taking the time to listen. And now let's start the show. Hey friends, welcome back to Generator. And believe it or not, here we are at episode 20. My guest this week is Pratik Nike. Pratik is among the world's best commercial retouchers, and his work has appeared in Vogue and Elle and Harper's Bazaar and countless other high-end magazines. Besides being a photographer himself, he's also an accomplished educator with courses like the Retouching Series, which is a cornerstone for anybody that wants to get into retouching. He's also the quintessential entrepreneur, having a line of digital products that started with Infinite Color Panel and has expanded to be an entire suite of tools, all with the aim of helping you get better at retouching. But what I love about Pratik is that he's what I would call a futurist. He's always curious and always researching things that are on the forefront of technology. One of his passions lately has been artificial intelligence, and he's even created a course with Felix Kuhns called The Future of Photo, where they talk about AI and its application in the creative process. In this conversation, we spend most of our time talking about AI and our predictions on how it's going to affect the photography community. We easily could have talked for hours about this, but with time and attention spans being what they are, we limited it to an hour. So let's get started with an episode I'm calling Through the Lens of Tomorrow with my guest, Pratik Naik. I've never known how to start any of these things, but I'm just happy to have you here. Yeah, me too. I'm excited. I've always loved having like conversations like this because these are those moments you kind of look back on and be like, oh yeah, I remember we did that thing. And like some people will bring it up in conversation later. Like, oh yeah, I remember you, I saw your interview with Matt and those are great podcasts and kind of stuff. So love it. Well, there, <laughs> there's the promo. That's all I'm going to use that little snippet for the rest of my life. No, I, I think it's, I think you're right. You know, we were having this conversation at the Portrait Masters, you know, on that what, last night we all stayed before we all yes. caught the plague and <laughs> it was great. We were talking about movies. Was it the Terminator that you watch all the time? Is that the one? Yes, Term that's Terminator yeah. 2, right? Two. Yeah. Terminator 2. Yeah. And to continue our conversation, you know, we were talking about our favorite movies, what we like to watch for visuals and just the thing you can always put in the background. And yeah. mine is the new Dune. Yeah. The, the Denis villain wave. I can never pronounce his name, the director, <laughs> but the new Dune, not the old Dune. Yes. And I've been watching that basically every night since September. 
And I'm getting to that point. The ADHD dopamine is starting to wear off. <laughs> you have to get a new fixation. Yeah, and that's exactly it. I will find something for the next year and watch that every day in and day out. Speaking of which, you health hack a lot, right? Yeah, true. So to. what have you been doing with, with that lately? I know you've always experimented with sleep and health and vitamins. And where are you with that these days? You know, I have to say I'm all over the place. Like, I think the biggest thing that has always been tried and true is when you realize a lot of issues stem from stress and the causes of stress, one being things like your adrenal glands and adrenal fatigue. So I always think, you know, I tell people, make sure you always have good source of vitamin C, whether you're having oranges every day or the supplement every day. And things like B12, I think are common. You know, I think those are staples for me. If I don't have them, I can tell a difference in my energy and my mood. And also magnesium. I think those are like biggest things that I think every creative in general should take, you know, because I think, you know, we always go through very high stress periods and stuff. And, and we just need to keep our bodies nourished in a way that we're as stable as we can be given our own unique circumstances. So those are my biggest takeaways. Yeah, the vitamin B is huge for energy for me. Magnesium has been helping me sleep, but vitamin D as well, right? Especially this oh, time yeah. of year where we're never outside. It's 20 degrees here in Maine and dark at, you know, <laughs> one in the afternoon. So I found that I had been skipping my vitamin D for, I don't know, the past couple of months. Didn't realize it, you know, ran out of it, didn't think to yeah. go pick up some more and I was like, ah, it's not going to affect me that much because it was the summertime. Yeah. And then I just really started to realize like mopey, just oh, yes. anxious, like that feeling of just general malaise. Yes. And I've started adding in the vitamin D since I don't go outside a lot. I sit in front of a computer in a dark room and yeah. I realized, oh, wow, that big shiny thing in the sky actually gives you a little bit of energy. But if I can get yeah. that energy in a pill... Yeah, fantastic. Did you ever get tested for it or was it just something that you kind of like, oh, I'm going to just take it and see how I feel? No, I had a blood, I get a blood panel every year to yeah. check on a lot of stuff. Vitamin D was one of the things that I was very deficient in. Testosterone was another one that I was very deficient in. And once I worked with my doctor to get the right dosages of everything, then yeah. it's, it's like a, a, a switch flipped. In terms of energy and focus and capability to have a conversation. Yeah. But it yeah. was a lot of work of trying to describe symptoms and then get the blood work done and figure out the whole plan forward. But yeah. man, it's worth it. It's so worth it to do that it's, stuff. Isn't that interesting where you don't realize these things? And even if you go to a doctor and you possibly give them the symptoms that you have, they don't initially think to test on the most basic things yeah. they you know they obviously might check your blood pressure your blood levels but vitamin d is a very specific test and you should ask for it because yeah. even on my last physical they never even brought it up it you know you have to kind of say hey i want to get my vitamin d tested and our and one of our friends um i don't want to i don't know if i can mention her name or not but she recently got her vitamin d prescribed and also i told her i was like hey did you you know get k vitamin k2 as well prescribed mm -hmm. Because you need K2 to ensure that vitamin D goes in the right places and magnesium right. as well. 
And she was like, I had no idea. So she went back to her doctor and was like, yeah, you should probably take K2 as well. So yeah, good, good point. You probably saved a few people's like lives and happiness in this podcast already. Well, you know, my job is done, right? That's all. Yeah, I you're do. done. done. I, this is my, this is my, my cape. You know, I've just, I don't want to say that I'm a hero, but I'm kind of a hero, you know, <laughs> advocating for yourself is super important. So, 100%. okay, enough with WebMD talk. Um, <laughs> so the thing that we were talking about, and I can't remember if it was right around the same time, but in September uh, or thereabouts, late September, you launched the future of photo with yes. Felix. I immediately purchased the course because I believe in everything that you put out. And that's not blowing smoke. It's just, I believe in everything you put out. And so I went through the course and I, I skipped around because I know some of the things of mid journey, but I started skipping around and found myself immersed in all of these modules. First off, thank you for putting that out because from the standpoint of, of the creative community, being able to have everything in one place, especially for photographers, was phenomenal. How has yeah. the response been for the course? Are yeah, you getting it's... any specific feedback on what people are digging more than others? And I'll give you my feedback in a second. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's it's interesting because um, prior to this, we had you know a lot of information and experience with education and retouching. Um, but what I found is that people, because they don't have time, they want to jump around uh, into different parts of the course. And I thought that was important to keep steady with this one as well. Um, one thing that I found really interesting was now that these tools um, keep changing, people don't know where to keep their attentions on. And so the way that we kind of designed it was intentional where we're like, let's have a, a very specific case study where you know, you are somebody who is trying to create a mood board and then apply to a photo shoot and then also going to post-production with your results. If we kept it central to that theme, we could keep people's focus on why they should learn what we're presenting. And that was the biggest kind of takeaway. Now, the feedback that also I got was, hey, how come you don't talk about any like free tools yet? And to that, I had to say, it's coming because it's going to be completely updated as time goes. Because we knew with AI, this is going to change constantly. But the other factor is the groundbreaking tools are often the ones that you have to still pay for in the beginning because if they're free, chances are it's not worth using at the moment, unfortunately. You know, it's very difficult to find a free model, especially with image generation that has the firepower and the backing that these funded companies do. And so that's why we based it off of that where the longevity of it just makes sense. But it's not to say in the future, there's not going to be a lot more that comes from it that, you know, might just be free for everyone. So it just depends. And uh, that's been my biggest, I think, overall idea of how people have approached it so far. How about you? Yeah. Like, what was your feeling towards it? Man, there were, there were so many parts of this course that I really, really enjoyed, right? So I've I've been kind of like you with my finger on the pulse of AI for a long time and trying to jump on all the tools as soon as they come out, really explore them, figure them out. Do yeah. I like it? Do I not? Forget about the, the conversations that you have at the end about the ethics of AI and how you incorporate it. And is it going to replace photographers? And I love those conversations. I won't spoil it for anybody. Um, but then 
what I really loved was how in-depth you went with mid-journey. Every mm. single variable oh, yes. that's in there. I didn't know about the image weight or really the differences between stylizing and raw and, you know, medium in there. So the, the deeper level of the prompts and all of the variables that you can put in were, was phenomenal for you to break it all down bit by bit. I think one of the things that you had done, it made me really laugh sidebar. Um, I was watching the neural filters. I use neural filters when I'm, <laughs> when I'm doing a lot of stuff. And in the neural filters video where you're playing with smart portrait and smiles and eyes, and you're having the greatest time doing it. And poor Abdul, the model, you know, is getting his face liquefied. It was wonderful to see the, the playful, creative side, but also the reality of know what these tools are, know what they can do. Don't rely on them 100%. But when you said, I'm going to max this out and send it to Felix and see if he notices, and you start cracking up, that made the entire course worthwhile for me. It really, it really made me laugh. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I, I remember going through that and thinking, do I talk about the stuff that is just crap? And I was like, yes, I should, because people really need to know not everything works as advertised. And some of it's just hilarious. And it kind of like makes you realize, okay, we're not really there there yet in a lot of these instances. Right. People shouldn't be terrified that everything's going to be done right away without any input yeah. from you. I think, you know, one of the other things that I pulled away, and this is totally, yeah, I'm, oh God, I'm so off topic, but in watching you do everything in mid-journey and you're producing images and then upscaling, saving them to a folder and then using them as inspiration prompts, whether you're blending or whether you're just drawing variations from some of these images. I was so drawn to your finder sidebar and how organized you are on your own desktop. It fascinated me. And I went in and did that to my own finder sidebar on a Mac. And I was adding all these folders because I can never find anything. Yes. So yes. like you, you inspired me to be more organized through a course that you put out. It was just, it was really, really funny that that was the thing that I focused on in you know, some of these videos, but can we talk about that for a second? Because yeah, I have absolutely. to say, I do, I do that a lot where I watch people's videos. I even watch you, for example, and I see like how your mannerisms are and how you talk to people or like how you work on a computer. And like, when you have these questions come up in your, like, how did they think of that question based on what they said? Always analytical about stuff. And we always learn these things that are secondary learning principles. And what Matt is referring to is if you just see any like trailer of the video, you'll see it. But in my finder, um, basically you can say, you know, your shortcuts and where they go to, but I have little dividers cause Mac doesn't have like lines between folders. So I have these little, um, folders that I create on my desktop that have just dashes as the name. And then I put that as a shortcut because then acts like a divider. So then if I'm working on like photo projects, I'm like, let me go to the photo project shortcut section. And like, let me go to the retouching shortcut section. The wish thing I wish Macs had was. On that shortcut section, you could, I wish you could rename the folder without renaming the original folder. And that would keep you way more organized. Could you not create an alias on the desktop and then shortcut to the alias? That's a brilliant idea. I never thought about that. 
again, have to try it out. Okay, gotta go. Again, hero <laughs> solving solving the world's problems. There you go. <laughs> but no, I I saw those dividers, and that's what drew me in. I was like, how is he? Oh, he's creating folders. So, yeah. yes, if you if and I encourage you to to go and and get this course, but you'll be able to see the size. <laughs> just standing for the question. Yeah, totally. Driving sales up just because of your organization skills. No, but I, I, as a, as a photographer, you know, it's super important for us to have access to our materials really quickly. And I find, you know, I keep everything in Dropbox and I've got a pretty good organization system in there. However, what I really like is having folders, all my personal branding, all my fine art, every article that I've been in you know, yeah. reels that I've made. I like having that stuff on instant access. And I've never really had a quick way to do it outside of a lot of shortcuts on the desktop. So having that structure really made a lot of sense to me of having it all in one place. I so know. I think, you know, that I, is certainly helping me be able to find things faster. The sheer number of terabytes of data that I have is oh. astounding. Yes. You know, and that, that doesn't count the Rubbermaid containers full of hard drives in oh. my closet. Gosh, can there just be a better way? I I know I still struggle with that organization of the hard drive situation because I'm like, but then what if I'm traveling and what if I need to back up before I travel and what if I want a solution that I can, you know, it's just a mess. And speaking of organization, I think having our creative minds and how our minds are mapped in multiple directions yeah. allows me to also figure out what content to keep in a course and what I should be talking about, even though I really you know, don't know the gamut of everyone's questions. But I think that's a superpower we have as creatives. You know, we are able to see the tangible you know, directions people can think about questions and then really integrate that into a course structure. And I think that's why I, I like educating other creatives is because I think we all think very similarly and how we learn is also very similar. You know, we're visual people, but how we structure things are similar too. What you're saying in there as well is there's a, an, an element of experience that you have to have before you can become an educator so that you can mm -hmm. anticipate some of those questions. You know, one of the things that I see a lot happening now are all these courses popping up, not necessarily in photography, just courses in general. It seems like yeah. everybody has suddenly become an educator or an instructor. Johnny Edward and I had this conversation a few weeks back. We were talking about how saturated the market is right now for a lot of these courses. But what you're talking about really is thinking through once you are at a point where you think you can start creating courses, it is very important to think through who the audience is and how yes. they're going to consume that content. I know for me, when I'm developing my courses, right, I've got a course on podcasting, course on video, and the the podcasting course, I tried to think through, all right, what are the elements that I need to break down in every single step? Because I can't take anything for granted that the people that are viewing or consuming it are going to know what I'm talking about. So yes. It's really easy for us to get caught up in all the stuff that we've known for 10 or 20 years and just spit out a condensed version of that and hope that people know. But instead, you really have to think through, all right, 
Well, if I'm going to talk about neural filters, I should probably talk a little bit about AI. Maybe I should talk a little bit about how retouching is done and then think about the, like, you just keep working your way backwards. So you get to a point and say, all right, this is enough of a beginning for this course and then move forward. The up and downside of that is that you have a ton of stuff you can talk about (laughs) and that you have to condense that down. Right. And that's the hard part is like, Oh, I can leave this out, but do I want to leave it out? Right. But you also don't want to have 168 hours of content in one course. I'm, I'm using AI now more um, to help me clarify those things because I, I think of AI as somebody who's almost like a neurotypical person who can understand everything I'm trying to say and then condense it down to be like, hey, I think what you're trying to say, it's like an ADHD translator for me. Oh my God, you know, I'm just, I, get, I literally, I'm just, I go into it and I'm like, hey, listen, I have this course I want to make and these are the topics I'm going to talk about. What else should I add in between here? You know, what are some of these things that I'm missing? And then, it, and then I, I talk to it like a person. And what I found is at the end of the day, I, I feel like I've used less brain power, but I've gained more knowledge. Like I've become wiser thinking less. And it's about this efficiency aspect of it. It's about, you know, getting better. And this is how we start using these tools to, to help, A, figure out, you know, what direction we should go in, stay focused, but also to clarify, condense, expand, all this stuff. Even emails, like I'll, I'll start writing an email and I'll say, you know what, I, I, and I don't, I'm not good at uh, corporate speak enough. So can you make it more normal? And then it like actually responds back. And I, I use a lot of it. So I don't know. Do you find that similar issue? Do you use the same way too? I do it exactly the same way for various parts of what I'm doing. And very much like you, I will write something and I'm a decent writer, but I look at, and I, I tend to be, you can tell verbose. So my one question, hey, Pratik, would you like to come over becomes, hey, Pratik, I'm going to be making dinner and I'm going to start with a casserole and I'm going to do this. Would you be interested in coming over and maybe, right? So verbose, way too long emails. So I often use AI to break that down, to condense it, make it sound a little bit better, sum it up, right? When I'm using it for courses, I try to type in as much detail as I can. And I say, produce an outline from this. Okay. Now that I have the outline, I take that first topic. If I agree with it, let's say it's microphone choice. I'll go in and I'll put in all my information about microphones that I know. And then I say, all right, let's enhance this. Let's fill in the gaps. You know, Hey, can you talk a little bit more about the difference between condenser microphones and dynamic microphones? like you were talking to a third grader. And I try to, you know, give it that input so that the information that it gives me, I can then massage and put in my own voice. So Mm. it's this kind of symbiotic relationship that I have with ChatGPT where I give it raw data, it spits out something more refined. I take that and then it polishes that up. And we kind of go back and forth in this dance until I feel like I have the information that I need. And then I go to the next step, right? Yes. So I like using it that way. Do you find that, um, and I tell people this all the time where they come to me and they say, you know, I don't really use AI yet. It's like 50-50 right now. And I'm like, why Why don't you? Like, can you tell me some of the reasons? And they say that, you know, it sounds very robotic, so I gave up. Right. And to that, I say, don't give up on your first try. It's as if you're training somebody new 
that hasn't really worked with you before. You, you're massaging it a little bit. And instead of like just giving up on ChatGPT, you can try a couple of things being like, you know, you know, be the tone of voice, you can tell it, I want this in a specific tone of voice. You can input your text sample and have it mimic that tone of voice. Um, I also tell people use other services like uh, Google Bard or use Cloud. Cloud is fantastic. I personally prefer that over like ChatGPT at this current moment, just because it has it's trained on more creative humanistic writing style. Um, so I tell people don't give up on it yet because instead of looking at this as like a luxury, you we have to now think of it as a standard thing in our life. It's like a cam the camera that we use. It's mm -hmm. this thing that is gonna be there forever and get better. So it's not just a luxurious tool that will will be there at its current state forever. It's gonna keep improving. So I think think of it as a necessity that we have to have now, right? Like I don't know. That's kind I, of what my thinking has been. I look at it the same way. I think it's like driving a car, right? Some people are going to just drive from here to the grocery store. Some people are going to become F1 drivers, right? Those are your prompt engineers. And then you have the folks that are going to take the subway in New York because they're like, fuck driving. I'm not going to drive anywhere, right? Yeah. So I think it's it's similar insofar as, yes, it will be an ever-present part of our lives. Your choice is how much you want to use it or not. And yes. for me, I know that anything that can increase my efficiency, anything that can give me more time back in my day and mm -hmm. reduce the amount of brain cycles that I have to use is yes. fine by me. I started doing AI copywriting back when there's a, a Jasper is one of the commercial AI functions out there. And I was using it when it was called Jarvis um, a couple of years back. And it was the early days. It didn't write really well, but it was okay. And most of the the products that are out there now have become really good. However, there's been, you know, a dependency on a specific model, a language model or a computational model that isolates some companies from others. And one of the bigger topics that's being talked about, especially in the last week, is interoperability of models. And mm -hmm. as some of these tools start to draw from different engines, different models of AI, what it's doing is producing more natural, more usable content, reducing the, the possibility that some of those engines will be down. Right. Mm -hmm. So if they change privacy controls or if they get overwhelmed, right, you might not have access to that. Whereas some of these companies that are using interoperability of these different models are combining it all and basically yeah. creating redundancy. And that is the thing that really turns me on. Right. As all of these systems start to work together, it becomes more seamless. It becomes less cumbersome. It becomes more natural. And I'm finding that as I start to use, like you, different models, different locations to fine-tune content, that there are some that are better than others. And chat yeah. GPT is not the end-all, be-all. But I'm starting to find that as you use different plugins or go to different places like Bard, um, that you can find something that better suits your style and what it yeah. is the task that you're working on. And that's the best part about it is... I think with the advancement of this and how we begin to use 
computers, like you said, the style in which we use these tools will ultimately shape the direction of how these tools and our mechanism changes. Like I was thinking about this from a human history perspective, like right now, because we have computers and we're kind of still in the early days, we have these peripherals like keyboards and screens and stuff like that. But eventually the keyboards will disappear. The phones will disappear. It's going to be very, it's leading toward more organic, you know, right. of a interface. And, and these tools will continue to keep changing until we start becoming more symbiotic with, unfortunately, these, these advancements and who knows what the future is going to hold. But I just feel excited for the next year or two. And every day I see these uh, advancements that don't only just incrementally change, but I feel like they just double, you know, it's, it's a weird time. I've never seen anything like it where the, the pace of change is so fast that it's hard to even acclimatize before the next thing comes through. And it's a weird feeling for me. I want to talk about that with you. It's like, how do you, do you feel weird right now? Do you feel normal or excited? What is your feeling generally about everything going on with this whole scenario? Right now, yeah, I feel weird, right? But I'm I'm also smack dab middle poster child for Gen X. So I've seen the world before the internet, and now I've seen it after the internet. And I remember like growing up in Boston around the MIT area, I'd always see like real nerds out there doing weird stuff back in the 80s and early 90s. I would see, you know, engineers walking around with glasses with a monitor, you know, over their eye and they're using this keyboard down here while they're walking forward and they're, you know, they're coding on, I was like, we're five years away from robots. That's the way I felt. <laughs> right. So now I'm seeing it where, you know, here we are 35 years later and it's really starting to come about, right? The Oculus, right? You've got all this, this artificial um, augmented reality. You've got all this virtual reality stuff and it kind of stems from what that weird guy was doing walking through boston with a with a thing on his eye how i feel about it it's adapt or die change or don't you kind of have to pick a side being wishy-washy in the middle is not going to give you any advantage either stick to your guns and you know kind of be off grid or accept that ai is going to be part of your life Right. Yes. And look how quickly people accepted Alexa and Siri. Yeah. Right. We're like, oh, we don't want to talk to this. And now kids are yelling out, Alexa, put on frozen. You know, <laughs> you had posted today on Facebook on one of your accounts. What is the technological innovation that you think will be there by 2030? Yes. Right? And I read through some of the comments and there was great stuff in there about what is going yes. to be the most outstanding technological innovation. I was reading through it and it was very much the responses were around robots, you know, using things in the tools that we have, maybe some self-driving cars. Was there one standout comment in there that yeah. really got you and you were like, oh, this, this person's onto something. So this whole topic actually stemmed from the news. I think it was like not even a week ago about Sam Altman sure. and his open CIs firing and him coming back to the company. And then, you know, suddenly the speculation about why and what they had behind the scenes and the level of achievement advance that they made. And it didn't, it made me realize something like the way that they're training these models now are very similar to how humans think. And so yeah. it's just now 
I feel like we're at the precipice of witnessing the birth of something great, greater than us, or great as great as us. And uh, that means we have to now begin asking these really weird questions. My brain went to this other place, like, hold on a minute. If we, if we are very much closer to something that could be better than us or just as good as us in many of these aspects, what does that mean for the world? Because in, in my whole life, I always imagined that in 20 years from now, the world would more or less be similar, granted the incremental updates as we've seen in technology, but not to the point where we're going to have to worry about other form of intelligence. That, and then it made me realize, okay, so if that's the case, if no one has to work anymore, what does the post-economic world look, society look like? Are we going to go back to the medieval ages and barter for swords and stuff like are we is what does money mean what do banks mean? what does investing mean and then because everything's connected and i was like you know either we shift and adapt but i think ultimately in the next between 2030 i would hope that the biggest change we see in a positive mindset is things like cure for all illnesses especially because these models are starting to map out the human genome and all the proteins is, and all, there's these specific algorithms that map all this stuff out that humans would have taken forever to do and it's already done and so that just has to mean that we're going to figure out so many of these other issues so hopefully that just means that a we have answers to questions about our own personal health and well-being and everything kind of what we talked about in the beginning you know you could walk into something and it just figures out hey this is what you should get tested on this is what you should consider looking up based on the symptoms that i see from how your eyes are dilated and your skin looks and your hair issues and all that kind of stuff. You should go this route and that route and uh, it'll just mean better prosperity for us. Granted, it obviously did, you know, depends on who has control of it and all that stuff. So, and the bias that are placed with everything that's being trained. So it's, I think for me, it's the biggest double-edged sword in history. And thinking about 2030 and like I told you how our creative minds can go all over the place and many possible opportunities and aspects it kind of worries me it makes me at least feel more alive than i've ever felt sure. just because i keep in touch with the news now I, I every day i look at what advancements are are coming because then it can give me more of a clue over sure. where we're going and and uh extrapolate from there but that's kind of what my open-ended thinking was yeah. how do you feel Oh, I would, medical was going to be the thing that I, you know, put in that thread, but I really wanted to have this conversation with you first. The ability to predetermine your susceptibility for certain diseases, your ability to read through a blood chart and have it predict what your health might be. I think those are the things that will impact us more in the short term, the flying cars and the toasters that can read your mind, all that sort of stuff that, you know, the Jetson stuff is going to happen. Eventually. I probably won't be around for that. However, I think, right. Well, there it is, right. How do we extend life? So if we're able to use AI to a point where it's helping us increase our health and our longevity, well, now that also plays into actuarial charts for insurance, right? Yes. And your whole thing about investments, all of these peripheral and secondary and tertiary effects yeah. for for one industry. And mm-hmm. I think with that, it will be really, really interesting. My biggest concern, regardless of what it is, is the human reliance and the lack of 
critical thinking in daily life, right? And this is why I love talking to you because you're one of these people that is always looking for input. You're always thinking a little bit differently and you're you're trying to talk to others not to say, look how smart I am, or I want to draw something out no. of you. It's really this curiosity, this inquisitiveness that helps drive the conversation forward. Do you think we've lost the ability to think experimentally, to think critically, to imagine things because we are so inundated by social media and we're told what to think and how to think and you know what to do and where to go and what to wear? Do you think we've lost that ability to think for ourselves? I, I feel like sometimes when I see really great artists like you and all of our, our creative community, one thing that I think goes in hand in hand is our collective ability to stay curious. And, you know, when we have this ability to stay curious, it keeps our mind open and pliable because very quickly, as you've seen and many of us probably have even gone through is the less curious our minds stay, the more we are subject to the possibility of of having a fixed mindset, you know, and not being able to uh, really deviate from any possibilities than what we already know. And that's so dangerous now more than ever because, A, the second you do that, the algorithms get you and you're in this little rabbit hole of one directional thought. And then B, just because of how society is currently, it's like, you know, how much we have to work just to get by and all this stuff, it, it really keeps us shackled, you know, to not be able to have time to even ponder. And now more than ever, I think, you know, the idea of freedom isn't just necessarily like how much money you have, but like the freedom of mindset, like being able to really get in a position of, of, of thinking critically. And like you said, openly about what the future might bring. And that to me, I think is the biggest like sense of freedom to have that, ability. And I, I do want to encourage a lot of people. And that's why sometimes I pose questions the way that I do, because I want people to think like, you know, I don't want to spell the point out. Right. But if I, if I'm two steps behind the point, it will encourage them to get to the point by themselves. And typically, you know, as you know, when you tell someone, Hey, you're wrong or whatever, you even push against their opinion, they're going to be more res resilient in their own opinion. But the second you get them to get to their own point, it'll change their whole mindset and i want that for people more than anything you know that's kind of what my my thing is and curiosity is a funny thing like you could it gives you opportunity and in clarity but at the same time it's also very confusing because you you see so many different ways that you could go and even as an artist and i'm sure you can relate too like we want to do all these things like we're like oh that would be amazing the idea of it fascinates us sometime more than the execution and so we don't commit. And so our friends are like, why aren't you committing? Like, you said you want to do it. Why aren't you doing it? And it's so hard to explain why. Right. But the same reason that we we are not as committed is the same reason we have these amazing ideas. You know, it's the same scope. I, I don't know. Like, the future is just strange. But I, I just hope people start critically thinking more than ever before. Maybe that's an exercise and a takeaway from this conversation that I want that we should encourage people is keep your mind open, you know? Yeah. You know, as, as portrait artists, right. And not only are you a technologist and a futurist and a retouchist, but you're also a photographer. And for me, I know that as a portrait photographer, curiosity is the foundation of any connection with my clients. Having that curious mind, 
being able to ask questions without expectation or condition and being able to have that conversation with some someone so you're you're pulling out emotion you're guiding them through a process you're finding out new things that might stimulate creativity in you that curiosity is the cornerstone for me of any connection with clients expand that out and you can do the same thing with your friends and your family and people on the subway that you don't know or in Starbucks just stay in that kind of curious, playful place and don't be afraid to ask questions that someone might look at you a little sideways because you're at least asking the question and they might think you're a weirdo. God knows I get that all the time, but I, I'm genuinely curious in what people think about things because I'm not so closed minded that all of my opinions are set in stone change my belief, do it. I'd, I'd love to, you might not be able to, but at least expose me to that point of view. I think a lot of us, whether it's in the creative realm or not, fall out of thinking about things from a different perspective. We're so rooted in what we believe and how we want to do things. And a lot of times it's the way we've always done them that Thinking about something differently is scary. Mm-hmm. I don't want to feel fear or discomfort. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to think differently or question. Me, all I want is that discomfort. I was born in it. You know, I'm like, Bane. I was like, Dark, I was born in it. And I love being uncomfortable because I know that there's always something more to learn. And this brings me back to that question of reliance. Reliance on what we know, reliance on what we're being fed, reliance on the tools that we use every day. There has to be that curiosity so that we keep it in check. So that we're asking the right questions at the right time. Hey, this is awesome that it's going to make my banking much faster, but who's controlling that? And how much say do I have over what their rules and regulations are going to be? If I'm putting yes. my stuff into mid-journey, am I sure that that's not being used by some other company and then being sold as a backdrop on a, <laughs> you know, on some site somewhere? I think being able to ask these questions, doing a little bit of research, a little bit of critical thinking is not a bad thing, especially at the pace that, that all of this is being developed. Hey, let me ask you something. Do you ever feel like your style could use a bit of an upgrade? Well, I've got just the place for you. It's called Cyanide Bunker, and trust me, it's not your average store. At Cyanide Bunker, they craft handmade jewelry that's as unique as you are. I'm talking pieces that aren't just accessories, but statements. Whether it's the headhunter bracelet, the skull stud earrings, the sugar skull pendant, or even their custom bracelets, each piece tells a story. Your story. I get it, you're not looking for the same old run-of-the-mill imported junk. You want something that speaks to your soul and supports a small business right here in the US. Well, that's exactly what Cyanide Bunker delivers. Their pieces are handcrafted in Maine with a touch of the unconventional, perfect for people like you. So if you're ready to add some edge to your style, head on over to cyanidebunker.com, use code GENERATOR, and get an immediate 10% off your purchase. Trust me, you won't just be buying a piece of jewelry, you're buying personalized wearable art. So check them out today, cyanidebunker.com. Has there ever been a point recently that your opinion has been changed 
based on this principle, like you, you believe something and then after you read or you heard something or in conversation, you then change your mind about it or, you know, expanded upon it. And if, you know, it doesn't have to be anything recent, maybe the last thing you remember. In a general sense, without a, without a specific example, in general sense, politics constantly. Yeah. I'm a voracious political consumer because it's kabuki theater to me. Everything is spin. Everything is false on all sides. And I just like to listen to all of it and yeah. try to distill down based on my beliefs. Yeah. What is my opinion? What is my point of view? Yes. And then I always try to flip it for myself and say, all right, well, what would the other person say? And yes. then when I go out and I get into conversations with friends or where I'm in a social situation and, you know, a, a topic comes up, I tend to do the interviewing and ask questions. Yes. I'm yes. really curious. Open my mind. Make me think yes. the way you do, especially if you don't believe what I believe. Right. 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 So I'm a, I'm a big second amendment guy. Politically, it's a hot button issue. I will never try to change someone's belief of how they feel, yep. but I will give you an honest, balanced reason why I believe what I believe. Yes. And yeah. I think that's, that's the basis of any, of, of any good conversation is like, Hey, without trying to change your mind, here's what I believe. Let's meet in the middle. Let's just hear each other out. Yes, and that to exactly. me is super important and is something that has been lost in all yes. of this division lately. All right, man, you're president. Let's go. Let's like what's happening. <laughs> you're you won my vote. Let's do it. So let's just... and it's weird to me that it isn't obvious when you see someone coming from that viewpoint. Like some people easily just buy into their into rhetoric and not really question social their social awareness. You know, and me that that makes me wonder too like do people are people aware? Like, are they socially aware of how you know what they're saying is true, or is it just words that they're listening to and they believe? I am with you with that. I am constantly curious, and I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with everything you literally just said. I do the exact same thing with people. It's remarkable well, for me. It's it's the scene in Goodwill Hunting when they're in the bar and the really pretentious guy from Harvard starts to say, you know, well, if if you knew about colonialism and. And Matt Damon comes up and he's just like, yeah, and then you're going to read this and then you're going to read this and then your opinions are going to change like this. I love digging in a little bit with each person just so that I can know how far down the rabbit hole did you go? <laughs> or are you just yes. spouting Facebook headlines, right? Totally. Are you yes. are you a human BuzzFeed right now? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then like you get to a point where you're like, I don't really know if I, we should get down to that level because then maybe they're not ready for that conversation yet. It all kind of stems from that curiosity, right? So thinking about the, the technology side of all of this, you've also developed a ton of tools, all of which are foundational to my retouching, my workflow. From what I understand, you are not a coder yourself, right? Absolutely so not. How do you, how do you build that team? How do you start searching for people that can help you build this yeah. thing and see it through to the end. This comes from two things. You know, like photographers, we think, oh, we have to do everything ourselves. But then I'm like, think about this way, right? What CEO is answering emails and customer <laughs> support and, you know, all this stuff. And like, it's, it's just a matter of outsourcing. 
So the reality is, it's not even the ideas you have, but it's like, you know, that's why you have to go and talk to people. You have to go to these conferences. You have to participate in online conversations. You got to do, you got to be on this generator than that. And you have to talk and figure out like, what do, what are, what are people excited about? Right. And along the way, when you put a call out of this is what I love, this is what I like, it's not to, it's not for people to get in your business, but it's to put out a call signal and say, hey, I want these people around me that also believe in the same thing in retouching photography. And so I don't remember exactly how it began, but the basic principle is I found my core people that, you know, are good at what they do. And whether it being like executing on a code or whether it being like marketing, this goes from beyond just the tool set. Like I have so many people that I work with, that I don't want to like isolate any one person, but whether it be like, hey, I noticed this person is really good at coding. And then we start working together and being like, you know, and this was my, my friend, Stefan, he was yeah. like, hey, we should make infinite texture together. And he made all these other tools with his team. And I got trusted him to just make it. And I was like, I'll talk about it. And then we were on the same page with like how we how we imagine Photoshop being better. And the same thing with marketing. Like I work with my my friend Jeff and he's really great at marketing. Like my other my other good friend, uh, my best friend Emily connected me uh, with Jeff. And then suddenly I was like, oh, you're really good at this stuff. You run with that and just trust people. Sure, it's not going to work out for the maybe for the first couple of months, but you spend time figuring out what doesn't work. Don't give up on people. Try to see eye to eye. You know, tell people what you don't like, what you like. Just be open, communicate, put it out there. Again, Matt, like you know, this comes from the curiosity aspect. Right. If you're curious about people and their strengths, you can suddenly extrapolate for them. Hey, you would be good at that. Whether they take that or not is a totally different thing. So, like even you, when you told me, hey, you're doing this course, it's like that is. Perfect. You're like the perfect guy for educational content, whether it's podcasts, whether it's editing. It's like this is your this is your thing. You're meant to talk to people. You could just tell, you know. So I think it's important. Tell people what they're good at. Don't just wait for likes for your own work. Like go out there, start commenting on Instagram, like on Facebook. Like I love this about your work. You don't know what's gonna happen. I remember one time somebody. uh, It was like nine years later. They messaged me and they go, "Hey." You you put like a, a smiley react on my work, and from then I was motivated to better. And I was like, I don't remember doing that. But even that one little thing changed the course of someone, you know. So you just tell people what you like about their stuff, and you'll be shocked at what that means. What she opens up, and again, like you said, most people are closed minded. If you recognize people's talents, yeah. tell them. You'll be shocked how people don't. They're not good at recognizing stuff. You know, I, I had this conversation with Johnny recently as well, and he's been kind of lamenting the fact that there isn't enough co-support in the creative world, meaning yeah. we all kind of follow each other and we see a lot of the same art. It doesn't take but two seconds to leave a comment or a heart or repost it on a story. Like it is a no cost, no frills way to just support yeah. the arts and not enough people do it. All of that kindness those little things, those little bits of encouragement and support really can mean the world to someone, especially if, like most of us creatives, we're internal and we live in our heads and we think that we're not good enough and 
you know, all the gifts that we're given are wasted because we're not successful like X, Y, and Z. And so those little bits of encouragement really do help. And as long as they're genuine and without expectation and without condition, I think if we did that more, then we might have a more supportive, creative community where these partnerships organically happen. And I love the fact that you've been able to foster that with so many different teams. You created a... um, if I recall correctly, and I may get this wrong, is there a commercial entity that you're like a creative commune that you developed with like Emily and Brandy and you, is there, a, is there like a commercial collaborative in there? I thought I saw something yes. like that get released months ago, right? Yes. Yeah, so um, our friend Blaine, uh, he's a producer and he had the same thing. He was like, we were talking, I was like, Blaine, just make an agency, you know? I was like, you already a producer. You already know how to pitch. You already know how to, you know, pitch people and emails, all that stuff. Just make an agency. So he made an agency where it was um, Emily, Felix, my wife, Bella, Brandy, a couple mm-hmm. other people. And again, same thing happened. It was like, this just makes sense. Just yeah. just make it make it happen. And so that's what it was. Is a, a Blaine & Co. was the agency name. That's what it was. Yeah, I, I saw that. I was just like... Well, it's about time, you know, it's about time that they did that. Before we get too far off of the tools, I have to say, if there's one tool out of all of them that I've used more than any other, it's the visualizer, um, more so than infinite color panel or black and white or skin or unify, or even the jokes panel, right? Um, Luma and visualizer are my two biggest tools that I use all the time. Luminosity masking, and then also just the speed and accuracy of visualizer to me is everything. I use that constantly. And whenever Photoshop comes out with an update and breaks it, I freak <laughs> out until I can get my extensions back or use Rosetta or whatever it is to make it work. Um, oh, but yeah, thank that. you for that. I appreciate that. I, I was curious to hear about like what people like and for what reason, because it helps me to know, like, okay, in the future we could do more of that. You know? sure. And maybe we'll make a map tool that just like, has everything that you you love to do, you know? <laughs> it just looks at you cynically and yeah. just kind of shakes it just its head. Questions you. Just yeah. questions you. Uh, do you I really want to do that? Do you want to use generative fill? You really could just use content aware. You know that, right? right? You know, I should I should do that. Have a little uh, Siri voice to back out. Now they could just monitor what you're doing and interpret exactly what's going on. It figures out your next step. Like, mm, nah, that stray hair should really not. Well, I guess you could do it that way, I suppose. <laughs> no, it was, it was really funny getting back to the, the neural filters, right? You, before I even saw the video, you did what I got to, which is, you know, apply skin smoothing. And then you look at it and you're like, this just doesn't look right. So let's unmask all of the stuff around nose and lips and eyes and all the focus points, you know? And I was like, well, then it doesn't work too badly and i loved in your yeah. video how you went from this is garbage to ah, all right this isn't so bad and yeah. i loved it, it like in four and a half minutes you i saw your whole train of thought go to be like eh, i guess this is all right <laughs> yeah and and the funny thing is i'll be honest before i started recording it i never had used that filter on that particular image i wanted just like a raw yeah. honest feedback because we do that all the time 
right? And we, we play with something, we're like, oh, this is, this is shit. <laughs> this is just, why did they, who put the green light Which on Which tool this? is that, Pratik? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, right? We'll have to find out. <laughs> Even in that, right, this comes back to that that reliance on the tools. It's great that Photoshop comes out with generative AI. Sure, it's going to give you 11 fingers on one hand. That's fine. Yeah. I'm seeing people become reliant on it for backdrops or removing objects. And I'm like, if you don't have the proper skill or foundation to know how to do it without that, Yes. It's great if it works and it creates efficiency, but at least build the skill. Yes. 100%. It's kind of like, oh, I want a new desk. I'm going to go to Ikea and get a tabletop and four legs. Or you can understand how to put a table together yourself and maybe make the legs or you don't have to do it, but at least understand the process of it. For me, it's that I don't want to be reliant on anything until I know how to do it manually. Mm, you know, hundred, yes, and also and, the manipulation of the results too. Where even if you get something you like, what if you're like, I want a variation of that, or like right. at least massage it to your own style. While we're talking about retouching, I did have one one question. I, I figure it would probably be a horrible podcast if I had you on and didn't ask something about retouching. <laughs> um, we, especially folks that just start getting into it, right? They might buy the retouching series and they go through all the stuff with you and now they know how to do everything. What do you find that people overdo when they're beginning and in the commercial world probably really isn't that big of a deal? Meaning yeah. mm -hmm. there are some people that get every single fly away or every single eyelash. Where mm -hmm. do you draw the line between this is what's needed for commercial and this is good enough. Mm. Well, first thing is I notice when everyone jumps into retouching, they go straight into frequency separation and just blur the skin. That's the first thing everyone's like, I'm just going to do that and be done. And, and uh, I'm like, Ooh. and here's the problem with that, right? Like it probably is going to be fine for most people in Instagram and social media. But the issue is, let's say you're an art director, let's say you're Blaine and Co. And you're like looking through people's work. And the ones that matter the most are going to know for sure. So it really depends on time versus quality. And it goes back to the IKEA principle is know the processes, right. know the whys. Because once you know the whys and the processes, you can decide for yourself, hey, maybe just like the Neurofilter, I do a little bit of this, but pull it back and a little bit of that. And that's been my ethos is learn everything but then apply it to the standard that you that honors your vision because like yeah. your vision has to match. And I say this also because even with AI tools, like I'll use uh, some of these new AI dodge and burn tools and whatever. And they, a lot of the times they do yep. a pretty good job. But off the bat, I noticed it's, it wasn't like my style and I could tell. Like if everyone's using this one tool, I know what that tool's now going to look like and has a very identifiable marker. It's like camera sensor, sometimes you can just tell what's kept, what shot with what. And it has an identifiable totally. mark to it. Same thing with retouching. If you just run on this one tool that everyone will look the same, you're not going to stand out anymore. You are literally washed out. Your vision is washed out. So, you know, have an understanding. Ikea principle. I think that's what we should hashtag it. Ikea principle. Like Ikea just, principle. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
learn the learn the legs, you know. I can't even sit here and be like, oh, I never did that. I was a portrait pro dude yes. and I move all the sliders at the beginning. And I was like, let's just turn this person into a China doll. Cause that looks yeah. fantastic. Once you realize, ah, it looks like hot garbage. Then you start to scale things back and learn a little bit more. I love the fact that in one of your posts on the futurist.ai Instagram account that you have, I went all the way back to the very first one. And it's really funny if you if you go to this Instagram account, futurist.ai, you can see all of Pratik's work as he explores a lot of this like mid-journey and dolly and stable diffusion and whatnot. And it's really interesting to go back to the beginning and see just how kind of cruddy it was. Oh. You said in that post that the creative credit belongs to AI. I'm just the director. And that to me summed up everything about AI. The creation is happening in this engine, but it comes down to the direction that you give it that is the quality result. And you can't be of the mindset that I put this prompt in, made something, now I'm a digital artist. <laughs> you're a digital director, perhaps, but yeah. you're not Becca Bjorky who can make a, you know, a Stargate yes. mermaid by hand, you know? Yeah. That was a really poignant statement that, you know, the, the, the creation belongs to AI and you're just directing it in a certain way. I absolutely love the way that you sum that up. And it's crazy yeah. to think that that wasn't even, that was probably what, a year ago? A year ago. Yeah. Then that, and suddenly now it's photoreal and it's so strange to, to do that. And the reason I, I'm glad you brought that up because the reason I initially made that statement was because I knew at that moment when I made that account, I knew two things. After that moment, everyone else, everyone else was going to make a .ai Instagram account, <laughs> which happened. And then the second thing was that people were going to accuse me of being the artist because it was it was very hotly debated at that moment, like more than ever. You know, we just kindled the flame, and everyone was saying, "How could you use AI?" And how it's you know immediately. And I was like, "Listen, I fully acknowledge that I have no part in the creation of this, but I also acknowledge." That it's my direction that would that also kindled that fire. So, you know, we we are directors of our thing, and we are going to progress towards that as the tool become no more barriers to entry anymore. We're going to start seeing everyone's visions come, the director director vision come out, and it's going to be very fascinating to see what people's minds are like. To kind of land this plane, I think watching the course, the future of photo hearing Felix say that, yeah, AI may change some things. Maybe it makes headshots easier, right? We're seeing that now with, you know, these high school headshots and whatnot. And there are even companies that are popping up that are producing headshots for you. Yeah. That may take a segment of the industry that photographers generally rely on out of the picture. However, it will never replace the experience of working with someone and that to me really hit home as well and to hear that from someone like felix and to hear you guys discussing this that yeah ai is going to become part of all of what we do and it is going to change how we work again the adapt or die situation but it's never going to replace the experience for the human sitting across from you 
Never. And our responsibility is to maintain vigilance in explaining that to people. Yes. That, yes, these tools are available. Use them. Go do it. It's going to be good enough for your LinkedIn profile. However, it's never going to replace the experience that you have in exploring yourself and how you feel and working with a photographer and just all the emotions that go along with that. That's irreplaceable. And that will, in my opinion, never be replicated by bits and bytes and ones and zeros. Exactly. Unless, unless like the movie Equilibrium, where they just know all our emotions, you know, like our emotions are the reason we need to connect socially. Like we have to connect. That's why you're listening to this conversation. And that's why we're talking right now. That's the motivator. That's the grind motivator for humanity. Because the interconnections we have as people. That's why we went nuts during COVID. And that's why you're never going to see anyone going, this is my AI newborn baby. Like it's, if you're going to want photos of your baby, like you're not going to, you're not going to throw it in AI and be like, this is my mid journey baby. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to make a note now on Facebook and I'll save your post. So when 2030 in seven years or six years in a month, I'm going to check and I'm going to see if, if we've cured cancer and heart disease and we've got flying cars and whatnot, see if any of that prediction is true, or if it's just going to be some dystopian universe where, you know, we're all living off grid because there's one robot that's farming humans somewhere in Paducah, Kentucky. You know, I've, no idea how this is going to go, but I'm in for the ride one way or another. If you, if anyone's listening to this, I want to, I want your 2030 predictions. Put it down right now. I want to know what you think is going to happen. I assure you, you will get probably at least one. Uh, yes. I can't, I can't guarantee how many listeners there are going to be, but I will at least put that input in and honestly yeah. and make you feel good about it. Make other profiles. Come on. You can do this. Am I going to see you out at WPPI? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Depending on where we are, I'll definitely going to see you there. Yeah, I know you have a lot of things going on. You're you're going to Namibia. You'll be yes. kind of bouncing all around. Does that that all kind of happens around the same time frame? So I was curious yeah. if you're going to be uh, if you're going to be out in Vegas where where everybody else is, or if you're going to be gallivanting, creating phenomenal art <laughs> like you always do. We'll all be together in Vegas. That's for sure. I really look forward to seeing you, man. And thanks so much for hanging out with me tonight. I, it's rare that I get to have these conversations about AI like this, that someone that's so into it like I am. So I appreciate everything oh, yeah. that you do. Thank you for being so curious, for fostering the communities that you do, and for sharing all of this with me. Yeah. I really, really my, appreciate your time, man. My pleasure. If it wasn't for people having platforms to let us talk about all of our nerdy tendencies, then where would we be, right? Say hi to Bella for me, and I'll talk to you soon. You bet, Matt. Thank you. Hey there. Can I ask you a favor? If you're loving every minute of the show, and I hope you are, then subscribing is like becoming an honorary member of an exclusive club. Subscribing means you'll never miss a single episode, and trust me, you won't want to miss what I have in store. But here's the extra special request. I'd love it if you could take a moment to leave a five-star review. Your review is like a virtual high five. It lets me know I'm on the right track and helps others discover the show, too. Your feedback and support mean the world to me. I read each and every review, and they inspire me to keep bringing you the best content possible. So grab your phone and show some love with that five-star review. It's quick, it's easy, and it makes a huge difference. Thanks so much for being an amazing listener. Together, let's keep the conversations going. Subscribe, review, and let's make this podcast journey unforgettable.